Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you that you've given us life and breadth and everything. Lord, we thank you for um, your watch care over us, that you see all that happens um, in this earth. You see all the good, all the evil, and you take it all into your hand. And one day you will call to account uh, for every evil deed, every wickedness that has taken place and you will set all things right. God, we thank you and praise you for that. Lord, thank you that we can look into your word today and to see uh, your purposes in the midst of our affliction. We pray, Jesus, that you would uh, help us now by your spirit. Would you encourage and build our faith? Lord, would you uh, give us a proper understanding uh, of this subject that we might um, live faithfully before you and that we might hold fast to hope no matter what we face in this life. And so we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so um, I realized that we didn't ever circle back to uh, the pastoral side of the problem of evil and suffering in this world. We actually were going to do it in December, and I think I uh, it was just me and you. I think so. And nobody else came in December, so we said, you know what, let's just not do it. And me and Rita had a great conversation. And... <laughs> Uh, so I thought, well, let's, and you guys were, you were here, were you here too, Abigail? Yes, you were. That's right. You guys were both here. You guys had your conversation and we had ours. That was great. Um, so, um, I wanted to circle back and just finish this and, and I want to look at just, I just want to look through some scriptures today. And so maybe it's going to be less apologetics, more, um, Bible study. Um, how do we. You know, because we talked about, like, how do you answer the objection posed by people to the Christian faith? We've already gone through all that. This is more like, uh, how should we understand suffering and what God is doing in our suffering or affliction or trials? And um, I think it would be good for us to then also think through and just talk through, how do we help each other? Good idea. How do we... How do we encourage each other? How do we minister to each other? And I don't have like a big long list of things. I just wrote that as a question and we can jam on that as we get there. But um, so I'm, I'm probably going to be a little bit all over the place in terms of my notes this morning because I'm picking up where we left off. But I did want to um, just say a couple of things by way of review and then we'll we'll jump in to the subject proper. But um Remember when we talked about this, we we tried to draw a distinction between um, sort of the philosophical answer and the pastoral. We're going to do the second today. And the reason that we um, want to draw that distinction is because, like, so it's helpful because the way we respond to people in those different categories differs. So if someone loses a loved one, they don't necessarily need a deep theological explanation about the problem of evil in the world, though that might come later on. What they need is the ministry of presence, being with them, the ministry of prayer with them and for them, and the ministry of God's word to comfort them. So um, I'll give you this question now, but one of the questions I think it'd be fun for us to talk about today, maybe towards the end, is what scriptures would you use or have you used to help people in affliction? 
Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And if any come to mind, just jot them down because we're going to come back to that question at the end. And we can just share those. Because there's some scriptures that I go to on a fairly regular basis. So um, that'll be good. All right, so then we talked about... Um, um, this is from uh, Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. That God does indirectly cause evil events to come about and evil deeds to be done. Quote, this is a quote, but we have to remember that in all these passages, it is very clear that Scripture nowhere shows God as directly doing anything evil, but rather as bringing about evil deeds through the willing actions of moral creatures. Moreover, Scripture never blames God for evil, or show, shows God as taking pleasure in evil, and Scripture never excuses human beings for the wrong that they do. However we understand God's relationship to evil, we must never come to the point where we think that we are not responsible for the evil that we do, or that God takes pleasure in evil, or is to be blamed for it. Such a conclusion is contrary to Scripture." End quote. And then we went through several examples uh, of that in Scripture. So, and then we had a summary with these five points, God uses all things to fulfill his purposes and even uses evil for his glory and our good, which we'll see as we go through some different texts. Two, nevertheless, God never does evil and is never to be blamed for evil. Uh, three, God rightly blames and judges moral creatures for the evil that they do. Four, evil is real and we should never do evil because it always harms us or others. And fifth, in short, how... Uh, how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility work together is a mystery. Do you guys remember getting to that point of in that discussion? Uh, we're gonna have to. We're gonna get there probably again today. Okay, so that's just review. All right. Now, uh, let's do this. Let's dive into some different scriptures. I think we talked about this last time. But what's the question that people ask when they suffer hard things? Most common question. Why? Why? Why me? Why and why me? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, and what are they asking when they ask why? Did or I why me? Did I do something to bring this on myself? Or why would God let this happen? Yeah. Why well, doesn't God love me? Why doesn't God love me? Did I do this to bring this on myself? Why, what did you say, Rebecca? Why, why, did why did God let this happen? Implicit in that is that God shouldn't have let this happen. Right? The fact that, so then we're also questioning, like, is God still good? Right? Yes. How does, how does this square with him as sovereign? Yeah. Yeah, if God is really king and he rules over everything, like, why? Why, why is he letting this happen to me? Maybe he's not really sovereign over all things. Maybe he's not really in control. Right? What else? Anything else wrapped up in that question? It's a lot, though, isn't it? God is a liar. He said his arm is not too short to save. Yeah. And yet I don't feel, you know, based on my circumstances, that he is honoring that, that promise. Therefore, he's a liar. Yeah. We, we, these are things that, that go through their, their machinations in the back of our minds. Yeah. We never bring ourselves to actually say them unless we're an atheist. Yeah. Yeah, we don't... <laughs> We don't say that out loud, even if that's what's underneath the, the struggle. Yeah. I think it's fair to, to also say, I mean, if we're 
if we are grounded enough and working hard to understand, you know, where all, where we all stand with God and what His Word says, then maybe our question is just simply positive. Like, well, what is God teaching me through this? Yeah. Or what, you know, why did God allow this, and, and what should I know? I mean, you know, I, I do think there. I mean, I'd like to think that there's a measure of both in, in us. You know. Yeah. Well, and that's that's precisely Todd why. I wanted to come back to this and look at these scriptures because the best time to build a theology of suffering is before you're in the suffering. Like, it's not super helpful to try to build this when you're in it. It's very difficult to see. It's very difficult to, to trust. Or can be. It doesn't have to be. But often it is. Um, so, But that's precisely why we want to do this, Todd, is so that when we get into the suffering, we have a theological foundation on which we're standing things that we know to be true before we hit that moment so that when it comes not if when it comes because we live in a fallen world suffering is going to come when it comes we want to be able to have some of this in our minds right now i think that um that's not just for our own benefit that's also for our family, for our fellow believers, the people that we're going to have opportunity to minister to as they go through suffering too. So as we think about laying these foundations, it's like, I need this for me, but I need this for the people that I lead, the people in my family. I need it for my brothers and sisters because we're going to need to come alongside each other because even if you have some of these foundations, what can happen? Oh, they can be buffeted. <laughs> yeah, they're buffeted. You forget right? You loot, they just right out the window. And so one of the things that has been helpful for me is that line in, um, I think it's Peter who says it. I'd have to look for the reference. He's like, I know you know these things, but it's no trouble for me. And it's good for you to be reminded of them. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's, it's it's okay to uh, repeat. I think sometimes we think that we have to say something new or fresh, or whatever, when people are facing different things. And sometimes we just need to say what they already know and just acknowledge, like, hey, I know you know this, but I'm going to remind you of this because it's no problem for me and it's good for you. (laughs) You know, like, um, so we want to lay a foundation here. And as we go through different kinds of affliction, um, I think what we have to keep in mind, one of the things that we have to keep in mind, there's probably many things, but one of the things we have to keep in mind is we're wrestling through this question of why. Is that typically we want to know the specifics. And I don't think God intends to give us the specifics all the time. He gives us many reasons why. Like he gives us many answers to the question why? Like, what could he be doing in affliction in our life? But he doesn't often, and, and generic, generally speaking, like what he's doing, but he doesn't necessarily pinpoint a precise reason why. Does, does it make sense? Um, and so then what do you think is our obligation in the midst of that then, if that's true? Trust. Yeah, trust it. Patience. Yeah. Say, what was the first part? Wait patiently. Yeah, wait patiently. Yeah. Um, 
we do we believe God? Yeah. Do we believe that he's good? Yes. So reminding ourselves of who he is. He's got good works planned in the midst of this, right? We have to trust that. We have to trust his word. It's very difficult to do. I think that's a big part of where the battle is. And sometimes it's for a long time. Yeah, and sometimes it's for a long time. That's right. The, the very word suffering implies waiting. Yeah. And enduring. Yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Okay, um, so we want to be anchored in the scripture because it gives us comfort. I think we all want to be anchored in the scripture because it helps us draw, helps us, helps keep us from drawing false conclusions about God, about who he is, about what's going on. Um, and it's, it's comforting to know that God and his wisdom and his faithfulness is at work redeeming our suffering for his good purposes. So um, I want to talk through uh, some of God's purposes for suffering. And if you, so if you have your Bibles, let's just go through some of these scriptures. Let's look at Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8 first. Can someone uh, read Romans 5 verses 2 through 5 for me? Okay. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay. All right. As we go through, let's just see if we can maybe identify what what is one purpose that God has in our afflictions. What, according to this, what what's a purpose that God has? He's producing godly character in us and strengthening our faith. Yes, He's producing godly character and strengthening our faith through our suffering. Um, and here, too, I didn't think about this, but I started thinking about, like, this verse 5 about hope. Um, there's uh, maybe a confirmation of our uh, confirmation of, of our faith, a strengthening of our faith through the, through the midst of it. Um, I, I think a, a key word here, and I, I, I tend to overlook the, the, the traits that, that come, but the word produce... We always associate, or I, I kind of want to presume, I always associate suffering with taking away, yeah. subtraction, mm-hmm. yep. rather than addition. And here, it's actually being being constructed. No, God is using what seems to you to be subtraction actually to provide, to add, and multiply. In fact, in us, good things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to think about it. Because even when there's something that is subtracted, i.e. you're going through loss. Like we're not saying like, we're not denying the loss. We want to also recognize that there's there's other good that comes with it. Yeah. All right, let's look at uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29. 
uh, and we're still in the in number one. So I'm going to give sort of nine answers to the question why. We're still on number one right now. Uh, Romans eight twenty nine. What did I say? Twenty eight twenty nine. Will someone read that? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Um, this is a key text for, for us in laying a foundation for suffering and, and, the, and the answer to the question, why? It's key for two reasons. One, everybody points to it. People are very familiar with this verse. Um, sadly, they often take it out of context and misapply it. What's the why here? What what is the what is the purpose here in these verses? To conforming him us to his image. Yeah, whose image? Christ's. Image. Yes, to form in us the image of Christ. Right. So, off, how how have you heard? maybe this verse sort of taken out of context and misapplied. That people frequently um, use the part that says, uh, and we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, period. And not the fact that, that, that we have to be in him in order for this good to be accomplished. Yeah, that's number one. This is not a blanket promise for all people everywhere. This is a specific promise for, for a certain group of people, and it's for God's people. Amen. This is not a promise for every Indeed. Joe Blow who's out there. Yeah. Uh, if this, You can only claim this promise if you're in Christ. You belong to him. So that's problem number one. It shifts the burden to the, to the sufferer, as it were, because the fact that they're not seeing good in this you know, suffering, which may very well be the product of evil, it's your fault that you're, you know, you need to find the good in this. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we don't ever really want to do that, do we? No. No, we don't want to do that. And and it's important, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. I was going to say something along the lines of, in, in all of this, we're not, we're not ever really trying to minimize the suffering or the pain or the bad. This, none of this is to say, like, uh, hey, suck it up, because God has good that he's good. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, all of this is coming with compassion and love and grace and gentleness and patience and in all the things that we say. Um, the way that I normally see this verse misused is people will say something like, well, this bad thing happened to you, but don't worry, God's going to give you something better. He's going to bring something even better because he took away this... You know, oh, your your girlfriend broke up with you. Don't worry, he's got an even better girl out there for you. Your child died. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. that's a tough thing. Yeah, how, how are you gonna fill in that blank? The yeah. Area, right? Um, there's a whole book. There was a Puritan who wrote a whole book on this verse. It is well worth all things for good. Thomas Watson, right? It's it is very much worth the read. Because he goes through and he talks about how, like, all the bad things that happen to you work for your good. And all the good things that happen to you are working for your good. And he's, like, he, it's just really, really thorough. Really, really good. The thing that I wanted to point out here for us is linking this with Romans chapter 5. We talked about Romans 5 makes it clear that, that God uses affliction and suffering to produce character. 
And here we see that that character is Christ-likeness. That's ultimately what God is doing here. He's, he's one of the reasons that God uh, has for our affliction is to shape us into the image of Christ and greater godliness. That is one, that's purpose number one. Um, yes, God works all things together for good, and he, and he gives us the reason why in verse 29, because those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And then there's one last text here. I'll just read it. This is 1 Peter 2.21. Uh, sorry, what did I say? 1 Peter 2.21-23. Uh, but if when, sorry, I'll go back just one verse. But if you, if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Isn't it interesting to know that God is preparing his people to suffer for following him? Like, hey, hey, just so you know, um, you're going to do the right thing. You're going to do what pleases me, and you're going to suffer for it. But this is a good thing. I prepared you for this. Like, I, you're called to this, to follow in Christ's footsteps, Christ's example. We should not be thinking of the Christian life as one where we merely walk from victory to victory without facing any kind of affliction or suffering. That is, your best life is not now. I'm sorry, Joel Olstein. That is not, that is not true. Go ahead. Well, and Jesus said to take up our cross and follow after him. Yeah. And of course we know that doesn't mean we can die for our own sins. It's not that quick. Right, right, yes. It's, but it's following in what he came to do to suffer and, and to save the lost and to have us continue that ministry. Yep. How can we work the, the servant is not greater than the master? That is exactly right. But we want to be. We, we act like we should be. We act like, hey, he did the suffering. Now I get the blessing and just, just leave it at that. Remember that thought for tonight because we got 2 Corinthians tonight and that will fit with some of what we're going to talk about in 2 Corinthians. So then uh, there's some suffering whose uh, fulfillment of the ultimate purpose will not be known until we're in the presence of God which should point even the unbeliever to Christ. Even David said in 2 Samuel 12, but now he is dead, speaking of his, his son with Bathsheba. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. And so there are, there are some consequences of suffering that cannot be rationalized or replaced this side of heaven. Yep. Therefore, it behooves one to look toward heaven. Yep. And, and not, you know, what, what does it take for me to get from here to there? Yeah, 100%. And I think that is... In terms of like how do we help people, that's going to be one of the key components. Because I think as we look at the scriptures for an answer to this question, the ultimate, the only ultimate answer is to extend the timeline through to eternity. And and that's how we orient and how we get the right perspective on heaven. And we'll talk about that more. But that's ultimately where we want to be anchored and where we want to help anchor people 
as they go through affliction. So let me just read two more and then we'll move on to the second one. So uh, endurance, character, and hope is learned through suffering, Romans 5. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted, so that I might learn your decrees. So God uses affliction to grow us in Christ-likeness, in godliness, in character. So we've just looked at Romans 5, Romans 8, 1 Peter 2, James 1, Psalm, that's five scriptures right there, and I'm sure we could add others to it. Can I add one? Yeah, please. Yeah, go ahead. This, this is my go-to. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's several verses because it, it so it's, it's 1 Peter 1. Yeah. We're probably going to use it. Let me see. Let me look and see if I have it somewhere. Yeah. Yes. We're going to come back to it. First Peter 1, 3 through 8. Yeah. That's a great text. We're going to be looking at it in just a minute. Okay. All right. So number one, to shape us into the image of Christ and greater godliness. Number two, uh, let's look at Psalm 39. Psalm 39, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Okay, Psalm 39. We're going to look at verses 4 through 6 and then uh, verse 11, but I'll, I'll just read here. Um. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they're in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I might smile again before I depart and am no more. That is a crazy verse at the end. Because normally, what do we want? We want God to make his face shine upon us. Here he's saying, don't look at me, (laughs) right? So that I can smile. Why? Because he's under God's discipline here for his sin. And what is the why? What is the purpose then that we have in these scriptures, how would you phrase that? Well, he's asking the Lord to remove his hand of discipline from him so that he can get some relief and smile again and no joy. Yeah. Well, and so what is God doing? Like, why is he under affliction? For sin. For sin. And what's God's aim? To purify. To purify him. And look at what verse 11 says. 
When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. What's God doing in the midst of this? Conforming this person to his image. Yeah. It's, well, it's exactly what we just said. But specifically here, God is doing this to consume what has captured his heart in place of God. Like, if, if idolatry is a problem, God will bring discipline into your life to topple that idol. He will consume like a moth what is dear to you so that you come back to him. He, he, he will do what it takes out of love for you to make it so that you love him. Right? If we get something else on the throne, it's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous thing. So uh, God will, will take away or consume what competes with our affection for him. Um, so sometimes God uses suffering to topple the idols that we've been trusting in for identity, security, or happiness. And God does this so that we will find these things in him instead. Uh, so the way I phrase this is, Purpose number two is to wean us from the love of this world. One of the reasons that God uses affliction in our life is to wean us away from the love of the things of this world, clinging to the things in this world, from our attachment to those things. It goes hand in hand with the next purpose, which we'll see in just a moment. Uh, it's to strengthen our longing for heaven. So he does these two things, usually simultaneously. Um, I was thinking, and, and I, I shared with two different people this week, um, human beings l are looking for significance. They want to know that their life matters, that their life has purpose and meaning. Human beings are looking for satisfaction. They want joy. They want happiness. They, they want pleasure. Human beings are looking for security. They want to know that they're safe, that they're taken care of. And there's probably other things we could put in this category, but God designs us to find all these things in him, in Christ. Our significance, our satisfaction, our security. And when we look other places, that's what idolatry is. It's trusting in something other than God to provide our significance. That could be achieving in sports, achieving in the work world, having successful children, you know, as a mom, like, hey, I, I did my job. My kids are, are awesome. We look to other places for our satisfaction. That could be entertainment. That could be good things too, right? Yeah. It's not always sinful things that we look to. It's good things that become inordinate. <laughs> right, Dan? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> we just talked about this at men's ministry. Oh. Yep. Uh, and then also our security. We, we want to know that we're safe, that we're taken care of. And so but we might trust in our bank account. We might trust in our retirement fund. We might trust in a person. We might trust in our husband more than God, right? But ultimately, we need to find these things in the Lord, right? Okay, so purpose two then, to wean us from the love of this world. Purpose three, um, oh, another scripture for the previous one that we didn't look at is Hebrews 10. 32 to 39, but we'll skip that. But I'll just say it so you can have it for reference. Um, 
All right, so to strengthen our longing for heaven is purpose three. Let's go back to Romans chapter eight. Sorry, we're flipping around so much in the scriptures. Romans eight, will someone uh, read verses 16 through 18 for us? Go ahead. The spirit himself bears witness with our Heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. And I'll just add verse 23. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I'm, I'm picking, I'm pointing to these verses so that we can see the theme here. What's the theme here? What Remember, we're trying to answer a question. What is God doing in my affliction in my suffering what's the purpose here what's one of the purposes we see here he's getting us he's preparing us to for an eternal weight of glory yeah let's look at that passage that's uh second corinthians right four am i right i think that's what the eternal weight of glory Second Corinthians 4, I have that on my list, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient... But the things that are unseen are eternal. What does transient mean? Passing. 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 Temporary. Yeah. What verse was that again? Second Corinthians chapter four, verses sixteen through eighteen. So it's not it's not just that they're temporary, it's that they come and go. You know, transient. Come and go come and go because they're temporary. They don't last forever. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. But they may come back again. Sure. Well, yes, that's true. Until when? Until the consummation. Until eternity. And then they're Gandhi. We'll see you later. They're Gandhian. Never. And yeah. He is, with this ties with, he is preparing the bride. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. The righteous acts to clothe the bride. Yeah. And we're, we're not, you know, so he is preparing us for the marriage. That's right. Yeah, we'll see that in Ephesians, right? Because what does he say? He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with washing the water with the word, so that he might present her to himself in the splendor of holiness. That's my paraphrase, right? Holy and blameless without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, right? Um, so, okay. What... Before I read any more scripture, Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4, how would you phrase in your words, what is, what is one of the things that God is doing in our affliction? What's one of the why answers? Preparing us for 
Just put this in your own words. He's preparing us to to uh, full be be able to absorb seeing him face to face. Yeah. Okay. He's preparing us to be able to see him, see. behold him. Okay. That's good. What else? How else would you say this? Go. Yeah. Yeah, that's why this one's connected to the one that we just talked about. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were saying. No, no, that's right. I'm just affirming you because these two things like are two sides of the same coin. Like when he weans us from the things of this world, he's also strengthening our love for him. I'm agreeing with you, Rebecca. You're on the money. Um, and specifically here, look at what look at what is being said. First of all, we're fellow heirs of Christ. This is Romans 8. With this proviso, <laughs> provided that we suffer with him yes. in order that we might also be glorified with him. Um, those who want to escape suffering in this life as Christians need to read this, right? And then look at what he says. He's saying essentially the same thing or very similar in Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4. So provided we suffer with him in order that for the purpose of being glorified with him, where is he looking? This is the end game. This is the ultimate. Glorification doesn't come until we reach heaven. And then look what he says. For because I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. And so we're waiting eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Interestingly enough, what comes right after 2 Corinthians 4 is a discussion of the redemption of our bodies. Again. So Paul has this idea of like how, how are we to endure? How are we to face what we face with hope? Well, it's because of what Dan was saying earlier. It's because we have this extended timeline in our minds of eternity. We know what's coming. We know this isn't going to last forever. And, and it's, he's not, I want to be very careful here. I don't think Paul means to minimize the suffering that we face in this life. He merely means to say that by comparison to eternity and what's coming, it's slight and momentary. Like here and now when we're in it, it's horrible, it's awful, and we don't have to deny that or minimize that at all. It's simply to extend our vision beyond this life to what is coming. Yeah, that's linked, right? Yeah. Following the footsteps of Christ, yeah. making it, we're going to get to like, hey, this is helping to show the tested genuineness of our faith. Yeah. Um, go, you want to add something? And yeah. the Lord warns us at the Last Supper, um, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's right. I mean, he doesn't beat around the bush. That's right. Like, take heart, I've overcome the world. Yeah. He doesn't say, hey, in this world, you're going to solve all the worldly problems and then you're not going to suffer anymore. No. So 1 Peter 5, um, 
starting in verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Mm -hmm. Resist them, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So we're not alone. And after you have suffered, you know, it's a promise there. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It can be the dominion forever and ever. Yeah. Put that in the list of like key texts to go to when you're trying to comfort someone. Right? Because there's so many good things to point out there. Like, hey, you're not alone in this. But also look at all the good purposes that God has for this, both now and in eternity. Um, okay. So three purposes we've seen so far to shape us into the image of christ and greater godliness to wean us from the love of this world was number two number three to strengthen our longing for heaven um and i had another scripture here that i won't read hebrews 10 32 to 36 i guess i could just read it but recall the former days when after you were enlightened you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to re reproach and affliction sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted, let me read that again, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence which has great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The, the Christians joyfully accepted the plundering of their possessions because they knew they had a better and abiding possession in heaven. Okay, number four. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. And I am sorry for you Gorskis or anyone else who's coming tonight because we're going to be looking at these texts again tonight. We'll, we'll, we'll try to stick a socket in so you can get it out. <laughs> no, it's fine. We need the reminder. Um, yes, amen. No trouble to me. It's good for you. All right. Um, 2 Corinthians 1, April. Oh, I there's two things that I want to point out here in this text. Two, two reasons. Um, and they're backwards in my notes, but I'll flip them around because uh, it'll put them in the order of the text itself. So um, let's look at verses uh, 3 to, through 11. Will someone read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 11 for me? Who, who's got that and can read that for us? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Okay, let me pause you right there. What's one of God's purposes in the midst of our suffering or affliction? What's one of the whys? Comfort. Be more specific. 
In order that God. we might comfort others. Comfort for for us and and so that we might be able to comfort others. Amen. Isn't that interesting? Amen. Now, did you notice he said he said that God is the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. And he says in verse four, look at verse four, who comforts us in all our affliction. How much of our affliction does God comfort us in? All of it. <laughs> why? He gives us a reason. Okay, we're looking for the answer to the question, why? Look at verse 4. So that, here's the purpose, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Any affliction. Now, isn't that interesting? It is. How, how, how is it that we can comfort someone in any affliction? The answer to the question is, the source of our affliction differs. But the source of our comfort is the same. Does that make sense? So you could be suffering for any number of reasons. It's not really why you're suffering. Like I don't have to have suffered the exact same thing that someone else has suffered in order to point them to the comfort that they have in God, the comfort that is available to them. That should be a burden removing uh, encouragement for us as we seek to help people who are facing affliction. Because our, our tendency is to think, well, I've never gone through this before. And I think there's some merit to saying that. There's merit to saying, I, I really have no idea ex- all that you're going through. Like, I, I don't. I don't. And that's okay. Yet, we, can, we don't have to then say, well, because I don't know exactly what you're going through, there's no ability for me to comfort you. That part's not true. Right? Um, there's so much in these these uh, verses that that are th- this for me. This is one of my go-to passages: Second uh, Corinthians one uh, three through eleven. Uh, one of the things that I like to point out here is is just what we've been talking about. But verse five: as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. I, I say, look, God doesn't meet level. Eight affliction with level three comfort. No. Like, he comforts us in proportion to what we're suffering. I.e., God's not going to under-comfort you or under-strengthen you or under-sustain you. It's going to be everything that you need and, and more, right? Yes. Like, like, if you're questioning, like, is God going to come through for me? The answer is yes. Abundant suffering is matched with abundant comfort. It's in proportion to what we face. It's a tremendous encouragement. Also, I point out here in these verses that there's no doubt in Paul's mind that God will do these things. He he will comfort you. Like he says it here. He's like, um, verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Not like, I hope that you might share in our comfort. You will share our comfort. So the problem with that is the comfort I want is ice cream, and the comfort God is giving is broccoli. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, the, I don't want ice cream, we, we, personally. We, we tend, well, no, the idea is that okay, I'm sorry. we want God to comfort us on our terms. Yes, that's right. Yep. And so part of, part of the purpose, part of the purpose of suffering is to have us adapt ourselves to be able to appreciate the comfort that God offers on his terms 
so that we can see the latter end of things more clearly. Well, let's just popcorn some of the ways that God comforts us in the midst of our affliction, right? So what does he do to help us? How does he help? How does he comfort? He, he um, I can't think of the right word, but when we read his word, his Holy Spirit works within. We, we experience comfort within from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And we also experience it from without, the Holy Spirit and fellow believers who come alongside. Yeah. And some of that Holy Spirit comfort is going to be pointing us back to what's true about some of these whys. Ultimately, where we're headed, where we're going. Amen. So part of God's comfort is pointing us to the truth and reminding us of his promises, his great and precious promises, right? There's more to it than that, though. I, I, that when you're going through the suffering, <clears throat> Christ is with you through the whole thing. So your relationship with him is deepening in a way that a person who's not suffering doesn't experience. Yeah. And that is a, in itself another purpose, right? It's linked to some of the things that we've already seen before. Um, but I think one of the comforts here is precisely this. And it's the second, it's a, I guess it's the fifth reason. So fourth reason was to be able to comfort those with the comfort we have been comforted. But fifth would be to increase our dependence and hope in God. And here we're going to look at verses... 8 through 11, but we're also going to look at <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10, which are very well-known verses. Um, it's, it's, remember when Paul, when Paul has the thorn? Mm. <clears throat> and what does he ask three times? Take it away. Like, get me out of this. Take it away from me. I don't want it. Isn't this exactly what we pray when we're going through our affliction? That's exactly what we pray. And rightly so. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Jesus himself said, take the cup away from me. I don't want it. I don't want it. Now, he got to the place where he was saying, not my will, but yours be done. Right? right? Surrendering to the Lord and depending on him. So, so Paul prays, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. I don't want this. I don't want this. What does God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Um, since we're talking about it, we might as well look at it. Um, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Here's Paul's conclusion. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There are times in the scriptures where you read the Bible and you realize how far short our own faith is from what Paul experienced, from what they had. And it calls us to say, God, get me to that place. Because I don't think most Christians today have that perspective at all. Like, at all. We don't. We don't have that. I want that. I want that. I, and I believe that you guys want that too. This isn't like a condemning guilt trip. This is like, wow, we, this is where we need to be going. This is where, how we need to see things, how we need to look at things. 
uh, boy, do we want that. But where does that come from? It's not coming from Paul, right? He has a deep experience of the sustaining grace of God in the midst of his affliction that enables him to say this. In other words, uh, like God, God not only says this to him, but he experiences the reality of this for him. And then he can say this because he knows it to be true, because he's experienced it and he knows the goodness of it, right? This isn't like a theoretical thing for Paul. He's in the thick of it. He's experiencing it. He knows God's grace sustaining him through it. And then he can draw this conclusion. It, it's like what you said earlier, one of the things that you said earlier, I think it was you. Uh, just, just this, or maybe it was you, bringing us closer to God, right? And the joy and the pleasure of it. There were some, some Christians who were imprisoned in China, and when they got out afterwards, they were like, man, I wish we could go back. Because, because of the experience of God, his grace, his power, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, all of that was so acute, so they were so keenly aware of it in the midst of it, right? Now, obviously, I don't think they really want to go back to prison. The point that they're making is, this is what I experienced in the in the midst of that. Does that make sense? So, so fifth purpose then is to increase our dependence upon and our hope in God. So when if we go back to Second Corinthians chapter one, we read these powerful verses. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is verse eight through eleven. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, he's talking about suffering for the sake of his ministry here. So, but I I do believe that even if you're not suffering for the sake of your ministry, you're going to go through things in your life where you feel this way. Amen. Where you feel, I am so utterly burdened beyond my own strength that I despair of life itself. And then he says, indeed, we felt we'd received the sentence of death, but purpose clause that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. What's the purpose here to help us rely, trust, depend on God in the midst of our suffering. So this idea is, um, in our weakness, in our affliction, in our suffering, we learn to rely on God, and God proves himself faithful, and he sustains us by his grace. You want to add something? Yeah, two thoughts. Yeah. Uh, one, one is um, God, God uses suffering uh, as, as discipline in order to reinforce our value and our, and our identity with him. Yep. Just like a father you know, rightly disciplines a child, that child feels closer if it's done properly, you know. Um, that it goes to their attitude. Second thing is uh, permission to make an analogy, if I may. Permission granted. Thank you. So when we experience affliction <laughs> and suffering, it is like driving what we see before us what we're, as we're moving forward. What we see is through the windshield, but we see God through that side mirror. And what is written on the bottom of that mirror on our right-hand right. side mirror? Something like objects in mirror are closer than they appear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, but do I believe that? 
you know, it's true. Like God is closer than he appears? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is true. I'm just tracking. I'm just I, trying to. Yeah, the question is, do I believe that? Yes. And so, because what is right in front of me seems so much, I can't go forward looking in my side mirror all the time. Otherwise, I'm gonna, bad things are going to happen. But God is different in that he is, he is closer than I think he appears to be, even with what's in front of me. Yeah, and if if I may be permitted to and add to the, Please. He's, he's he's sitting right next to you in the car, Amen. and his hands on the wheel, Amen. and he's also in front of the car. Amen. Yeah, right. I mean, like he he's so much nearer than you can even imagine. It's not like he's trailing behind you in like a, he's not like following you in a car. He's in the car with you. He's in you. He's with you. He's with you every step of the way. Permission to share a personal analogy. <laughs> we have to go. We have to keep going. I'm sorry. This is, this is, this is very, very brief. Okay, that go. Is, that is, personally speaking, yeah. in the midst of, of suffering uh, abuse as a child, mm. the, the, the conundrum of trying to answer the question, where was God? Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually came to the place, not only was God there, he was not there helplessly watching. Correct. He was there enduring it with me. Yeah. Yeah, when Jesus says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, he's with you, hands on the wheel, and he feels it. All right, sixth, you just mentioned this purpose, so we might as well go there, uh, to discipline us for disobedience and train us in righteousness. Uh, we've already seen Psalm 39, 11. We could add to that Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 11. God will at times discipline us for sin as his children. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives, Hebrews 12, 6. In fact, it's evidence that we are truly his children, verse 8. Why does he do this? He disciplines us for our good that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. So one uh, purpose for our affliction is God's discipline to train us in righteousness. We just have to be careful, like we talked about before, that not all suffering is because of our sin. We just have to be very careful that that, but that doesn't mean that no suffering is because of our sin, <laughs> right? Um, seventh, I'm going to move a little quickly now because I want to leave a little bit more time for answering questions at the end. Um, seventh, then, to prove our faith is genuine. This is uh, the text that was mentioned earlier from 1 Peter um, chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. In in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God uses suffering to purify our faith and to show us that it's real and it's going to result in glory when Christ returns. Um, another text, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So, seventh reason to prove that our faith is genuine. 
Uh, eighth reason to bring good to others from our suffering. Texts here include Genesis chapter, or yeah, Genesis 50, verse 19, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 10 through 15. Um, so you, you're familiar with the story of Joseph, classic verse, which we've talked about previously in these sessions. Uh, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as are today. What does that mean? It means God brought affliction into Joseph's life, not merely for Joseph's good, Romans 8, but for the good of many other people. This is connected to our suffering so that we might comfort others. Like God's got, it's not about us all the time, right? Like it's about God's bigger picture of the things that he's doing in this world. So um, Paul shares that their suffering served to manifest Christ to the world so that many would find life in him to the glory of God. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. In other words, we suffered so that you could become Christians. That was part of what God was doing. This is the good purpose. Uh, of course, the greatest example is Jesus Christ, who suffered and died in our place as a ransom for the salvation of the world. So when we suffer for the sake of others, for their good, we are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, who suffered for us. Um, number nine, um, we, we could add verses to number eight, but number nine, to glorify himself by displaying his power and all-sufficient grace in our lives. For this, we would go back to 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. We could add to this John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. As he went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Again, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect. It's displayed in weakness. So I've said this before. There are two ways that God gets glory for himself in the midst of our affliction. One way, one path is for God to deliver us from that affliction, to bring the healing, to bring the deliverance, to bring the protection, to get us out. And he does, often. But another way that God gets glory for himself is his sustaining grace through our affliction. God shows himself powerful, magnificent, glorious in both of these ways. So it's not to say that if God doesn't deliver me from this, he's not glorious, majestic, good, powerful. It's just that he's displaying his goodness, his majesty, his power in a different way. But both lead to his glory. Okay. Um, when we understand the purposes of God in suffering, we can say with the psalmist, I know, O Lord, that your laws are, righteousness, are righteous and in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Psalm 119, verse 75. Paul Tripp points out uh, in his book, Suffering, <clears throat> we never come to our suffering, this is a quote, we never come to our suffering empty-handed. We bring our past experiences, our perspective, and especially our theology. He writes, what you think about yourself, about life, about God, about others, will profoundly affect the way that you think about, interact with, and respond to the difficulty that comes your way. In other words, this means that what we bring to our suffering will either make it better or worse. 
If you don't have a proper theology, your suffering will be harder than if you did have a proper grounding. That's why it's wise to be equipped with these scriptures and the theology of suffering before we get into suffering so that it will not remove it, but make the burden lesser. So we want to prepare for these things and study these passages with our family, with our friends. Now, um, let's end our time here. We have maybe just a couple minutes, and I want to make sure we can talk about this. Um, just some key, key things. <clears throat> when someone is suffering, we want to ask why they're asking the question so that we know how to sort of filter. Are they in the philosophical or the pastoral? Because it, it changes our response. Uh, when we talk about this, key truths to remember, we've already mentioned this, so I won't belabor it. God is going to punish all evil, even if they don't punish it, if it's not punished here. Psalm 73 is a key text, right? And it's one of the examples of how, in order to understand our suffering, we have to have the long view of eternity. Uh, God will sustain us and is with us, and all of his promises are for us. We could go back through many of the things that we just looked at, uh, those passages. Um, <clears throat> third, the gospel hope. We, we have to have, I know it's a cliche now, but like heaven is our home. We have the hope of eternity in front of us. And so we want that perspective. Um, this is how God handles, that's the ultimate answer for evil, is, is eternity and how God is going to deal with it. God is going to, um, we can look at how God has dealt with evil through Christ in our own sin. We can look at what God is going to do in triumphing over evil ultimately, setting all three things right. Um, and the idea here is that this isn't just like, Pie in the sky by and by. Like all my hope is future. Yes, your hope is future, but your future hope has present consequences. Mm -hmm. That's the key. Like that's what we have to remember. Like we don't just like say, oh yes, I have this hope in the future, but having that hope for the future changes how we interact with what's happening in our lives. Now, uh, our response to suffering, prayer and submission, faith and faithfulness and supporting others um, so I wanted to ask this question, two questions, and we don't have tons of time, but it's worth asking. What would you say if I, if I said, how should we respond to someone who is in suffering? What are some of the, you know, bullet points that things that we should do when, when we're trying to walk with someone who's in suffering? What would you say? How would you respond to that? First, give them a hug. Give them a hug. <laughs> You're not kidding. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, I'm saying that's, that's, that's true, right? right? We put this in the category of the ministry of presence. Have you ever heard that expression before? Yes. What does that mean? In, in Job, the yep. early chapters of Job, yep. his friends came from afar, and they were quiet for a whole week. Yeah, that's the best thing that's they did. The best. <laughs> that's right. It all went downhill yeah, from there. Best thing they did was sit with Job... Ministry of presence. Just be with them. Hug them. And that's because sometimes that suffering, that pain is beyond words. There are no words. Yeah. But presence is yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, and what does it say? It's First uh, Corinthians, I think. Um, because of the body, when one member suffers, all suffers together. <clears throat> Part of being in the body is is having a love for 
fellow believers that when you see a fellow believer hurting, you hurt with them. Amen. Like you genuinely hurt for them. So you're with them. Okay, so that's good. Ministry of presence. What else would you say? What can we do in suffering? Pray. Yeah, absolutely. Pray. Uh, with them and for them. Like alone for them, but also with them. When you're with them, you can pray for them, right? And I think it's really important in those moments to let your prayers be shaped by Scripture. Right? Okay, what else can we do? Presence, prayer, this is great. If we could come up with another P, it would make my heart really happy. <laughs> Yeah, we can always give thanks. Give thanks in all circumstances, right? So praise, thanks, this is great. And maybe proclaim, <laughs> if we're looking for a way to talk about bringing the word of God to bear in their lives. Because at the end of the day, they do need truth, not in trite ways, not in condescending ways, not in easy answer type ways, but in real ways. And and. Here we're not thinking in terms of necessarily building them a theology of suffering, but we are thinking here in terms of look at what the Bible says. There is comfort that God promises for you in the midst of your affliction. So this is where I, it led me to the last question, and we can end here just to popcorn some different scriptures that you might point people to. The one, one that more, one more key, yeah, perspicuity, oh, perspicuity, yeah. Yeah. clarity. Yes, exactly. You know, to be able to, so that we we can find the proper place to put that puzzle piece in our lives. How about perspective? That's a much exactly, better yeah. word. Perspective. There we go. Perspective. perspective. Well, I think that's good. <laughs> Praise. This is great. And presence. So presence. I'll teach this better next time. Presence, prayer, praise, proclaiming, and perspective. And that's perfect. Well, yes. oh, oh, oh. oh, your heart is full. <laughs> My heart is full. Um, here's here's here are some scriptures that that I have gone to. Again, Second Corinthians or yeah, Second Corinthians chapter one verses three to eleven. Great passage um, because it promises um, it promises comfort and it also teaches us what to do in our affliction. That is to trust God who raises the dead. Right. It, it helps the sufferer know what do I do here? Like what, what's, my, what's my job? My job is to trust God, right? It doesn't answer every question, but it does point them in the right direction. Psalm chapter three and many other Psalms, but Psalm chapter three is a great one because it shows what do we do when we're suffering affliction. Verses three and four tell us um, what, what does David do? Well, he remembers who his God is he trusts in who his God is, and he prays to that God. And then in verses 5 and 6, we see the result of him looking to God, trusting God, praying. The result is peace, strength, courage, and there's the promise of salvation at the end. So you, we, we should have a few scriptures in our minds of here's where I can go to help people. If someone's suffering because of somebody else's unrighteousness, wickedness, Psalm 73 could be a great, 
Like, hey, how come this wicked person is getting away with what they're seemingly getting away with it? Psalm 73. I'm facing lots of enemies. Psalm chapter 3. I'm under affliction. I need comfort. First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, other scriptures that we could go to. Uh, the one from, was it 2 Peter? No, 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Uh, what's God going to be doing? Um, Psalm 46. I'm sure you guys have used that. Um, God is a very present help in time of trouble, right? Um, the idea here, and we'll close with this because I need to get out there. Um, <laughs> the idea here is to point to scriptures that are appropriate for what they're struggling, mm-hmm. that help them help them be anchored in who God is, reminding them God's still good, God's still on the throne, God still loves them, um, helping them to trust in the Lord, not necessarily answering all the why questions. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all this truth uh, to anchor us so that we know how to think about and respond in affliction. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust these verses now while things are, are good in our lives, uh, relatively speaking. And Lord, that we would be anchored in them so that when suffering comes, we would know the truth and we could stand fast on the truth. Lord, we ask and pray that you would help us to be wise, winsome, compassionate, um, loving, gentle, as we seek to minister to the people around us who are going through uh, various kinds of affliction in their lives. Lord, whether it's the grief of loss or um, suffering for whatever reason, Lord, would you give us the ability to faithfully minister to them and encourage them and ultimately point them back to you, the God of all comfort. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.